You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're here to help you in your business life or your um, leadership role do more with less and find common sense ways to make choices and make decisions. Today we're going to, um, it, it, it's part of my thinking about the new year. We all kind of get in some kind of mode of thinking about what can I do different to make things better. And my guest is going to help us think about better connections. His name is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Ron Macklin. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for putting together the show and a all the different episodes and the help you've made for all your listeners. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. You know, this, um, this idea of making connection is something that has been with us in our business life and adult life. And actually, as I think about it, as I'm even talking right here, I go all the way back to the old words of wisdom on the playground at school. If you want a friend, be a friend, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of meat on this bone, I think. So uh, tell us kind of how you got focused on this theme of how we can make better connections. Thanks, Doug. And uh, I'll go back to the, the playground that you brought up already. And when we were all kids, and we can still see, like my kids, and you can see kids on the playground today, there's no way that, that, that there's a kid out there, right? And they're like doing their own thing, right? They're just they're just marching along, doing what they're doing, or they're, they're playing with a basketball by themselves. And other people come up and start to join them or follow them. And pretty soon you get this, like a, like a conga line, you get this whole line of people behind following this person around, right? And the person's looking behind them going like, where did they come from and why are they here and what are they doing, right? And then there's another kid that's out there that's uh, telling everybody what to do. Like, you know, well, you guys get together and you guys form a team and you guys do these things and you do this and you do that. And the difference is one's a leader because he has followers and the other one's a manager because he's telling people what to do. And it's a fundamental of, of being human that we kind of lead one of those two ways. And the, the danger of that is, and this is why I chose to go in this direction, was I was running pretty complex teams, uh, 300, 400 people, multiple shifts. Um, and we were really trying to take apart like a whole nuclear turbine, right? And put it back together. And we're trying to do it in a shorter duration as possible. Because when the nuclear turbine is down, it's not making electricity. So we were all these, you know, I mean, different tradesmen and, and some people had some college education. Most people didn't. Um, they were all good at their job. They're excellent in what they're doing. We had to bring these old people together, and I'm going like, I, I can't tell everybody what to do. Like that's just, just too many, right? And uh, I, I'm, plus, I didn't know that I knew what to do. Like, like I was going like, I don't. You guys have been doing this for 30 years. You know, you guys know what to do. And I begin to notice that the more I let them lead, the more I let them help me with what we needed to do the easier my job became and the faster we went, the safer we went, the more profit we made and the customer was happier. So that was in 87, 88, 89. I started this project, which is like, how do I lead teams? Like, how do I lead a team? 
right? And and most of them were like I was at the time. I was probably twenty six, twenty seven, and and they were all in their forties and fifties and, and early sixties, and they've been doing it their whole life. They knew what to do, and so I applied that same kind of phenomenon from the kids' school. Right? I was going like, you know, we'll bring come together. What, what do you think the best way to do this? How do you come? To, how do we take it apart? How do we put it back together? How do we do all this kind of stuff? And all these guys that had been to, been sitting there being told what to do for a long time came alive. Like like they go, well, I've always wanted to do it this way. But, you know, I've always told you can't do it that way. You have to do it my way, right? Well, there are two ways, my way and the highway. That was what they yeah, so people yeah. People had told them that so well that, that uh, I watched one of my first experiences. I watched somebody do it the wrong way because somebody was telling them to do it the wrong way and everybody there knew they were doing it the wrong way. And they still did it because if they didn't do it the wrong way, they get fired. Right. So now's a space where I'm going like, I'm on this journey to how do we build those connections? Because those people, Ralph, Dennis, all these guys that I worked with way back then, I'm still connected. I mean, I'm still friends. We're still, we still know what's going on. We're aware of our lives because we connected with each other in a way because we were both contributing to each other's lives. We weren't like I was the manager. You do what I tell you to do. We were, I was a leader. Here's how fast we want to go. Here's the safety standards we have to have. Here's what we want the quality to look like. Here's all the stuff we want to get done. And then let me know what you need me to do to get those things out of the way. And that, that started the journey. And I've been on that journey ever since. I love it. I love it. And I like your analogy, the the difference between management and leadership. And I, I talk a lot about that with my clients. And I once upon a time when I first became a coach many years ago, I used to ask the question, do you think there's a difference between management and leadership? And I realized quickly that everybody agrees there is a difference. And so that question is kind of useless. So I just go ahead and start with what is the difference in your mind, you know, and I'll get varying degrees of answer. And it all centers around the very thematic idea and, and you talk about it, you know, and, and the, the phrase I use is management is about process and leadership's about people. And have, have people made careers out of being managers? Yes, mm -hmm. they sure have. And there, there's a lot of stories and, you know, a manager can hit the numbers, they can make plan, they can produce, you know, successful project delivery on deadline and on budget and things like that. But inevitably, part of that story is collateral damage in the people that were involved. People that weren't, were no longer inspired to, to to work at that company or on that project anymore because they, in a fashion, got burned out or abused. And, you know, they just didn't want to work for that guy anymore. And once the project was over, they were, they found places to go and other things to do. <laughs> yeah. And that they found someplace else to go is a good thing because there's also the, the danger that people being told what to do long enough. Uh, and one of the, the metaphors people use is like, I'm I'm a neck down person. Like I'm neck down. I go, yeah, you just tell me what to do. I'll do it. That's it. I, I, you know, and they they forget how to create. Right. They, they forget how to invent. 
And then it makes them in a way, I hate to term this, but it's kind of like they're a little bit damaged to go out into the world because they're kind of looking for somebody to tell them what to do. Right. Versus being able to create their own world every day when they show up at work, excited and ready to go. They kind of show up like, what are you working on? Um, 430? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? And and like, that's, that really is what they're working on. They're not coming to work. What are you working on? We're going to change the world. We're going to create this new thing. We're going to take care of something. We're going to set a record. We're going to do, now their story is, what are you working on? 430? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. What um, what is this thing about making connection that that you're focused on? And I, I guess specifically, you know, what, what is the message that you try to impart with people? Well, and when we're looking at people who want to be a leader or want to lead a group, right? And you say, well, I want to be a leader, so I need I need followers. Well, how do you how do you build a follower, right? How do you how do you create that, right? Uh, it, it all starts with that. Um, Wherever you're at, congratulations, you got you there. And there's no one else to blame but you that you can't get beyond that. Like we create our world, we create our space. And the moment we start to blame somebody else for it, now we're we're no longer connecting with the other person. We're actually building a wall between the other person. And now you can no longer get help because you're you've been blaming them. And you can not blame anybody out loud. You can do you can do it the worst place, and you can blame them in your own head. Those stories that are in your head that if it, I'd have been successful if we would have won if we could have got if that's always somebody else. So the first step is always to look at your own stand, what you're up to, what your stories are, what you're about, right? And it's an inner dialogue conversation uh, around whether you <clears throat> believe in yourself, whether you are willing to take responsibility. And part of that is like, well, that's kind of negative. And I go, well, being responsible can be a negative thing. Like you can say like, well, I'm responsible for that. You can also say, wait a minute, I'm responsible? I can do something about this? Right. There's an empowerment that comes from that, that you can go out into the world and run experiments, connect with people in different ways, try different things, and to build that trust. Now, that's part one. And it's kind of a, if you look at the hero's journey of life, right? There's some thresholds you got to come across, right? First threshold is whatever your situation is, you're the one that got you there. And you're also the one that's keeping you from going on. The next one is whatever you say into the world, you utter into the world, you write in the world, you text, you type, you put a video out there. It's not what you say that matters. It's what other people make up from what you say, show, type, that matters. And there's a, there's a like a, like we like to think that if I said this, they would hear that. They don't hear that. They hear from their own background. They make up a story, right? And that background of obviousness that people have, right? It's got a bias. And we don't ever talk about that bias. But the bias is fear. And as little kids, we figured out we're afraid, right? And then we've spent our whole life trying to hide that we're afraid. But it shows up in everything we hear. We go, okay, how's that going to hurt me? What, what's going to happen there? And when you can begin to notice that other people are using that as their background, you, you'll always check in and go, so what'd you make up over there? So the first threshold is, like, you got you where you are. 
which is cool because now you can get you on once you realize it's about getting on. The next threshold is not what I say that matters. It's what they hear. And so the really slow down and check in with the other people. What did you hear when I said that? Right? Because you have this vision, you have these, these uh, commitments, you have this whole vision you want to create for the world and how you want this, uh, the, the company or the leadership or the program to work out. But what matters is what they make up, not what you say. Now, what you say can shape it, but I guarantee you, whatever you say, that's not going to be what they hear. They're going to hear something based on their own background. And it could be simple stuff like um, uh, their kids were sick. Uh, they're, um, they're, they're in the middle of a divorce. They're in dating a new somebody. There's uh, Kids are going off to college. Uh, parents are aging. There could be all these other things that are going on in their lives that are shaping how they hear what you say. And they make up the story. And if we don't know what that story is, and I, I've seen this so many times where two people have two different stories and they're talking as if they have the same story. And the other person always thinks the other person has the same story that they have, and they don't. So how do we, how do we like that's, that's the second threshold. You gotta get beyond that. You gotta go like, what I say is not what they're gonna hear. Mm -hmm. I don't ask into it. If I don't verify it, if I don't see it in their actions, they're not hearing what I had to say. They're making up their own story. And the let last me, one. Uh, let me jump in on that one, if I may. The yeah. uh, What came to mind, I had a client recently we were talking about, and we're sitting here talking, uh, you know, first of the new year, and everybody kind of has that new year mindset. And whether you're big on making resolutions or not is 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 not my point here but i i told this leader that take advantage of the new year mindset and tell your team you want to pull them together and you want to basically reset the whole deck you know you you just want to redefine the foundation of how they'd like to operate and the reason we started talking about this, he was lamenting that he had a, a genuine desire to encourage his people to be a little more creative in their problem solving. But one thing led to another, and we started talking about the fact that, well, maybe traditionally and culturally in the business, they were never allowed to do that. You know, the, the former boss didn't tolerate that and actually, you know, beat it out of them, so to speak. And mm -hmm. um, I said, so you inherited this team, you have a genuine vision and desire for them to be more collaborative and more creative in problem solving. You, you give them latitude, you give them grace, you give them permission, but they're still not stepping up and taking the char charge, you know, taking the challenge. And I said, why don't you just reset everything, have a meeting, go off site. I mean, you know, rent a little meeting room in one of the little mid-range hotels. You know, you can get those for next to nothing for the half day. Um, order in some DoorDash, get some lunch, you know, and, and, and just tell them you want to reset the whole thing and, and describe your this vision you've got and let them tell you how they want to work you know what has been working what could be working better and you mentioned it a minute ago you know you 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 get somebody that's long in tenure when you give them the latitude to show up and stand up you know they may say things like i always wanted to do it this way 
and poof, you know, you've got a new inspiration and a new bolt of energy into the team. And now people are motivated and they want to come to work. They want to show up in a different way. And all of a sudden, you will get a much better response to the idea that you're willing to let them be collaborative, creative, inspired in the work they do. You're not that guy that has the my way or the highway mindset. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, sometimes this is what am I noticing? Sometimes you tell me, oh, we want to be more creative. You, you can do stuff on, you know, make up something new or whatever. And you can see, like the in their chair, their butt cheeks get a little tighter, right? And they're going like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. How how do I be more creative? What does that mean? And uh, one of the words I found that works pretty well is, what experiments would you run? What would you try? What would you do something there? And the results are really less important than that they went out and tried. If they tried something new and they go, what'd you learn? Not, not that didn't work, right? So what'd you learn from that? And we can get some people, we can get them started on a thinking around experiments and running experiments like we do when we were little kids. We, we ran experiments. Well, that didn't work. Let's try this. Well, that didn't work. Well, let's try this. Oh, that worked. Well, for now. So how do you keep getting people engaged in that so that they can continue to run their own experiments when you're not around? Well, and I, I think the one thing that comes to mind along that line, and I see this more in bigger business than I do in small business, because in the bigger businesses, what leaders are often confronted with, they get promoted or moved around, transferred, shifted, they get reassigned, and they inherit a team. And you, you, you don't really get to build your team from scratch, not most of the time. Occasionally you do, but seldom. Usually you inherit something. And with that, you inherit personalities, you inherit cultures, you inherit tradition, you inherit legacy that may not be the best answer for the situation at the time. But if you come in and you start quickly to want to make some changes, you've got people standing back going, eh, are you sure? I, you know, that never was allowed before. And uh, I was, I was dealing with an executive a couple of years ago and she had, she had come from a company that was very innovative. The whole culture was innovation, creativity, design, etc. And there, leaders led from the rear, you know, it was like, I give you the, the vision, I give you the direction, now go and conquer and teams would take off. I mean, you know, just like race horses, and they would go do the work. But she shifted industries came to another company and quickly realized the team she inherited needed her leading from the front they were not capable of her standing in the back giving direction and then running out of the gate to go do it they were very pensive they were very conservative very are you sure you want me to go do that you know and it's like so i challenged her to spend a minute go ahead and step up to the front in her leadership role and somewhat pull them along you know to the vision she wanted to create but all the while encourage them one by one. You know, I, I told her that she had work to do. She had to get to know them individually. 
figure out where their fears were. And, and fear is a great word because that is one of the giant stumbling blocks we all suffer. She needed to meet her people individually right where they were and understand what their fears and reservations were and learn who was willing to step out and step up one by one. And it took about a year, but pretty soon she was able to take that shift and, and, and move to the back of the team and, and, and be directing from mm -hmm. the rear rather than pulling them along from the front. And, uh, um, well, in, in groups where you have, a someone who's giving authority, like saying, you have to do this, you have to do this. And if you don't do it, people get taken out or they get worse. They get beat up, right? Not, not physically, but emotionally. Um, and people become really good at what I call turtling, right? They call back into their shell. Right. And they get really good at getting into their shell. Like in a moment's notice, they can crawl back into their shell and just wait for the next person to get replaced and then maybe see what's later and when you want to take somebody to go from i'm a turtle and i move at a turtle's pace and i hide when things get bad to moving out to be a someone who's willing to take chances and risks and and do all that that's scary that's really scary and it's a great opportunity for a leader to celebrate the learnings that people are getting when they start to run experiments because you begin to shape the culture of the group to say Oh, running experiments is good. Learning is good. Trying on new things, even when it fails, we learn. That's good. And that'll allow the people to come out of their turtle shell and go run around and try on new things. Because the greatest ideas are come always come from those who are closest to the work. They understand it better than everybody else does. They just don't have the freedom to create. Right. And I think the action and reaction to those moments is very much a programmed response. <clears throat> and the programming that goes on in business, and this can happen in small businesses too, with that very domineering autocratic owner that says, no, no darn it, this is my idea that you got to learn how to do it this way because this is the only way this thing works and this only way it makes sense, yada, yada, yada. Uh, th that can be very stifling. And when people agree to hang on and suffer that for long, they get into that, I'm working on 430 mentality. Well, that, uh, Doug, you brought up for, for me what I call the third threshold. And the first one is, you know, you got you into your situation, which is cool. The other one is people make up stories based on what you say. And the third one, and this is, can be a very tough one for a, many people. The people that are working for you may be better at the job than you are. They will outperform you. They will outcreate you. They are as powerful or more powerful than you are. And as a leader have to give up that fact that you will be outperformed by some people. There will be smarter people in the room than you. And if you're lucky, they'll work for you making your team. And we also need them to take our place when we leave. But yeah, you have to give up that. Right. 
Right. No, I, 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 I totally agree. And I think the, the individual that is afraid of that, uh, allowing someone else to shine and effectively outperform, um, that, that's a really prohibitive mindset. I mean, it really stifles creativity, stifles success. And as you were saying that, I'm, I'm reminded of a story I was told on one of my shows a couple of years ago. I wish this had been my client, but it wasn't. It was my guest client. She said this guy owned a pretty successful business in New York and had about 20 or 25 people on his team, and it was growing and rocking and rolling, and, you know, things were all all green. You know, it was all green light. But one day, one of the ladies on the team who I guess was some kind of supervisor went into his office and she said, hey, boss, could, could, could we just knock it off at about 2 o'clock, just shut everything down, go down to the coffee shop as a team and just, you know, celebrate where we are and what we're doing. And he goes, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And he walks out and says, all right, everybody, 2 o'clock, we're shutting it down. We're going to meet at Joe's, you know, and da-da-da-da. And, and uh, so they go down there, and everybody gets their beverage, and they're kind of sitting around, and the same lady steps up, and she says, well, boss, uh, we really have another reason we would wanted to do this. We have a list of things we need to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, really? And she says, yes. And it started with, you're a micromanager, you know, get out of our stuff. We're okay. We can do this. We got this. We know what we're doing. You have to trust us. And then, you know, the list went on. Fortunately, the, the happy ending in this story, this leader owner apparently had emotional intelligence that was off the chart. When they started listing these grievances, he sat back and he went, oh, my God, tell me more. I want to know, you know, okay, I get it. What's next? What? And, and, you know, he was he was really in the moment. And when they got done listing everything, and I, as the story went on, apparently a few more things got piled on that <laughs> people, they felt the vibe that he was genuinely dialed in. And a few more things got piled in, and he said, well, I am so thankful you guys brought all this to me. He said, what I'm going to ask you to do, give me about 48 hours. I want to think about this stuff, and I promise you I'm going to get back with answers to all of this. And he said, "I, I again, I'm very appreciative you brought this up. I, uh, this means so much to me. And sure enough, in about 48 hours, he called another meeting and he said, okay. And he went back through the bullet list and he said, I heard this. Here's what I'm going to do. I heard that. Here's what I'm going to do. I heard this, you know, and so on and so on. And it just, I mean, they did like over the next year, they did a 2X, you know, bounce in the company. Yeah. What showed up for me in that deck was when, when he hired the folks in, Right. And then they had the courage to say, Hey, this doesn't work for me. And he had the courage to say, cool, let's look at that. Right. And then let's make new commitments from there and go back to work. Right. The connection between those people, not just between the boss, uh, the leader and the followers, the owner and the team, but the individuals around it. When, when you're working with a group that's working like that, you build relationships with those, everybody on that team, that will stay with you for a long time that you can trust. Like 
one of those relationships, you know, you look at your phone and you go, oh, it's Doug. Right? You're excited to answer the phone because you know who they are and they trust. Now, it's the same people as everywhere else in the world. You just have a connection with them. You have a trust. Right. You have a, right. a willingness to help. And you know that they would be willing to help you as well. You know, this thing of trust is a, is a favorite topic of mine. And as most of my listeners know, I even wrote my own book about how leaders can build trusted teams. But but I'd like to, to ask you to define trust at work and how how have you seen it play out? How can leaders do more for creating that environment of trust? Yeah. Um, so I have two words that I always use when I'm working on this. One is trust and the other one is believe. And they kind of go together, but they're a little different. Trust is, uh, as I hold, is it's an assessment of the other person, right, and how they will act based on the past. Like like they have always showed up on time. I trust they will show up on time. Um, they've always got their work done. They're going to always get their work done. That's a, a, You can trust these things. Um, and believing in them may or may not be tied to past performance. So I can say I believe in someone even though I haven't seen them perform yet. I believe in them as a human. I believe in them as a, a member of a family, as a part of a, the group. I believe in them. And that's a statement purely about the future. Like it's looking at them and saying, I believe you will do great things for you, for us, and for the team. Where trust is uh, can be a little different. And trust can be, I mean, we always think of it like a positive thing, but if somebody's always late, you can kind of trust that they're going to be late. If they're going, to, if you know, if they're going to not make their numbers, you can begin to trust that they're not going to make their numbers. So it's always around the assessment of how they're going to go into the future, and what they're going to do, and then believing is a creation of something. Like I, I believe in that person, and the amazing thing is, whether you trust somebody or in the in the world, it will affect who they are, how they act. If you believe in them, it will affect them. Um, I have many experiences in my own life where I had a coach or a manager who believed in me. No proof that I would work out. I noticed that I really performed much better for people who believed in me. That they had a, a sense of, like, this person's going to do great things. And they had no they had no trust. They had no, like, well, he's done it before, he'll do it again type of thing. But yet, it can make a big difference in a person's life. So, I don't ever separate those two. I always keep them both forefront in, in any coaching or in my own businesses. I think that's an amazing and powerful connection there uh, and something, honestly, I've never quite correlated. But I part of what I'm hearing from what you described there, it's still on the leader's shoulders to exhibit both. Yes, you you have to be the one setting the tone to say, "I trust you," or "I believe in you," or both. You know, whether Doug, whether you do that or not, everybody's going to follow. So if you say, "I don't trust that person," even though you don't say it out loud, everybody else will not trust that person. If you don't believe in that person, but you don't say anything, everybody else will follow. Right, because you're the leader. So be careful of the thoughts you create in your head about your team. 
because it will manifest. I mean, what 90% of our language is not spoken. It's in facial expressions and body language and all that. So the stories you tell yourself will show up to everybody else. Well, and it, it, I, I agree with you, and it does manifest in in simple things like uh, workload. I, I I can't count the number of times I've had a coaching client tell me I'm frustrated. I don't get the preferred assignments at work. You know, and that is a direct indication of either trust or belief of the of the manager over them, yep. you know, in what they believe. And if um, it, and it is human, it, it and that's where a leader has to be careful because just by simply looking at your team and saying mentally, I mean, again, not spoken, but just thinking, I can't give it to George. He won't be able to do this. I, I, I need to give it to Ron. I, I need Ron to do this for me. And and Ron gets the assignment. Ron gets to run with, you know, what the team is perceiving as a as a select project. And now he gets all the glory and all the, you know, credit and, and everything. And what am I doing here? You know, why didn't I get that chance? One of the spaces for, for new leaders, people taking on roles, that um, I hold is very, very important. And it's around trust and believing. But it's to trust and believe in yourself. Right? Now, well, does that mean we won't make mistakes? Nope. We're going to make plenty of mistakes. We're going to screw things up. We'll do all that. But if you don't believe in yourself and you try to believe in somebody else, but you don't believe in yourself to believe in somebody else, it won't work. People will know it. People will see it in your in the face. And when somebody, when you talk about like a manager looks down, I got, I got two employees, right? If he doesn't believe in himself, when he goes to look at those, he's going to look purely on trust and say, who do I know won't screw it up? Because he's not willing to take any risk of anything else because he's afraid or she's afraid. And when you begin to believe in yourself, you can go, oh, I can give it to George. Or I could give it to Ron. What, what would be the best choice for their individual skills or their development or their long-term or their team or all these other criteria show up? But if it's fear that's running your world, it'll be which one is going to cause the least amount of damage, which one's going to get me in trouble the least versus who can do the most. And all of that will show up in your conversation with the other person, right? If, if you're sitting there designing around fear, designing from fear, we're always going to be afraid. That's just given. Do you believe in yourself? Do you trust yourself to run some experiments? So I'm I'm curious in our discussion here. So if George, who didn't get the assignment, has the courage to go to the boss and say, "Why didn't I get that assignment?" If that boss is the one fearing, I wonder how that discussion shows up. Well, I, I imagine there's as many answers as there are stars in the sky, <laughs> yeah. as 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 what people will give to them, right? But what their the other person, what George, who didn't get the assignment, is going to be looking at. You know, is he looking at me in the eye? Is he staring me in the eye? Is he looking away? Is he looking up? Right? And all of those body indications are going to tell me whether he's telling me the truth or not, whether I should believe him or not, and then also whether I should stop back at my desk and look at LinkedIn to find another corporation to go to because my trust here is gone. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? And and now you have somebody who you're paying probably a lot of money to find another job. Yeah. And even if they don't find any other job, their ability to grow is gone because they're busy looking at where do I find another job? Yeah. So critical and 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 such a such a difficult challenge. But I I I agree with your point. I think leaders have to check themselves along the way to say, is is my next when I turn the page and look at the next you know week month year of of effort here? Is there anything I'm afraid of? Am I feeling? less than confident about what we're doing and what do I need to go do to shore that up before I start influencing decisions that really take something away from people or don't allow people to grow and thrive on my team. One of my noticings of coaching and being in the world, um, the more capable and I say powerful, but the ability to get things done a person is, the easier it is for them to talk about their fears. It's not that they don't have fears. It's just that the fears don't have them. You know, here's my fears. What I'm afraid of. I couldn't believe this is going to happen. I was afraid this was going to happen too. And, and they talk about them and it takes away the control of that fear over you. So to speak those fears out loud with your coach, speak them out loud with your team, all of that. I mean, when, when a team looks up at their leader and goes, wow, he's afraid too? That's pretty cool. Like, we're all on the same team here, right? We're in the same space. He just has different gifts than I do, so let's use all our gifts to make something wonderful. Yeah. I couldn't help but think about, as you were describing that, a client I had a while back, he had been designated to be the heir apparent on a pretty senior executive role at a financial institution, and things were able to be worked out such that he was he was assigned to this unit uh, about a year and a half or two years before the outgoing executive left. So there was this shadowing opportunity, you know, uh, walk in the same footsteps for almost two years. And then the day came for the senior to retire and move on. And my client moved in. And I had my first session with him the day after the the effective date of the change happened. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, I can't believe this. And I said, what? And he said, two years of preparation. And I was, as you probably felt, my confidence was off the charts coming in and waiting for this day. And now that it's here, he said, I'm scared to death. He, he said, all of a sudden, I have this wave of imposter syndrome that I can't shake. He said, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it's happening. He said, but now that my name's on that door, he said, uh, he said, I, it, it's just been devastating to me. <laughs> so we had a, we had an interesting discussion, but I, I'm Curious for for the things of the way you've been describing. What what do you think was the what, what, uh, the yeah he was going to be afraid no matter what, right? That he could talk to you about it. That's power. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not that fear goes away. It's not that you don't have fear. 
It's that you can talk about the fears because you have fears versus their fears, your fears have you caught. And you can always, I love it when you start to talk about fears and you can look around the room and there are people going like, is it okay to say that out loud? Is, can you do that? Can you talk like that? I don't think that can happen. You can see their look on their faces. They're going like, I don't know what to do here. I'd like to say something, but I'm afraid to say something. And the power is when you can talk about what you're afraid of, talk about parents who are aging, talk about your own aging. What are you going to do when you can't work anymore? What you, all these fears, get them out and talk about them. Takes away the power. You still have them. It's just you're not alone with them. Right. And when right. you're alone, and when they're alone in your head, you are not going to connect anybody else ever because it's too risky. Where if you can talk about them, people will go like, oh, man, that's me too. <laughs> that is so me, right? Because it's one thing we have in common. We're all afraid. I, I, I think all of this accrues to the idea, and I call it a a, a wave of new thinking and some attribute it to the whole COVID mind shift that happened. Um, I, I think there's an overwhelming call for leaders to be more human and treat their teams with a with a more humanistic approach. Meaning, and I'm not talking, folks. I'm not talking about juju beans and all that sort of thing. I, but I'm talking about facing the reality that we all show up as individuals. We all carry our varying perspectives on fears, doubts, concerns for the world around us and the world we're living in. And leaders, I think, are being called to allow that to be real in the workplace. I mean, I think I'm of an old enough, you know, generation that I can remember the day when you just didn't talk about stuff like that at work. It was like, Ugh. But, you know, buckle up, buttercup, you know, yep. was the was the whole idea. It's like, oh, you know, wah, 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 you got problems, <laughs> you know, come on. And um, was it a bad workplace? Yeah, it wasn't great. But I mean, at the time, it seemed fine. I mean, it's it's kind of like that's what everybody did. And that's so, yeah, I'll buckle up. It was. Um, well, I, I hold that. Um, we as humans have gone through some evolutions. In fact, maybe it's a, a industrial revolution. You know, uh, whether it was originally we had farming and then we had wind and solar or wind and which is solar and um, uh, water pressure, you know, and then steam pressure. And then we, we, all these things advanced, right? Electricity, electronics, right? But all of those are technology or stories we use on how we manipulate the world outside of us. The fifth business revolution it's not about how we manipulate things outside of us, but how we connect to each other, right? And what is happening is like in the old days, there was one guy who was in charge, or yeah, well, actually it was one guy, right? Not Women hadn't gotten to that place yet, but one guy in charge, and the team was going to be however good that person was. And now, and I think it's human, but it's also, it's just more creative and more productive. When you have everybody on the team contributing, you will outperform that one guy every time. Right? right. How, how do you beat Michael Jordan in basketball? Have two college basketball players up against them, and they'll win every time. Why? Because they, they, they got more creativity. They got more numbers. They can do more stuff. Right? 
it's the fundamental of when everybody can contribute, you will outperform every other kind of organization out there. And that's why I ho I am, I, my stand is it's here. It's been coming around long before COVID and COVID amplified it. It's like dumping a little catalyst in the old bucket there. And now it's about how do we create together? How do we value everybody's input, right? Even though like, like the fundamental, like, well, I don't have something brilliant to say, but what you say into a meeting may be something somebody else builds off of and creates a whole new world. And if you don't say it, the team doesn't go there. So now it's how do we get everybody to contribute, right? And everybody to be a part of it. And then when you get done, right. everybody is like bought into the solution. None of this neck down type stuff. None of this, well, my way, it's his way or the highway, right? It's like, I'm here because I want to be here. And that's what people are looking for is where can I contribute? The other thing that comes to mind in the context of COVID, I think everybody in some form or fashion dealt, wrestled with the question of their own mortality because there was a period Nobody knew the real answer of what was happening to the world, you know, and, and I know it was a function of depending on which media channel you listened to at the time as <laughs> to what position you took and all that. Yep. But the bottom line was there was a gigantic uncertainty of where things were going to land and how things were going to look. So it's almost like the old fear we might have had of going to work and speaking out about a subject got eclipsed by the fear of mortality. Right. And therefore, yes. therefore, that notion of speaking up and representing yourself at work, just the fear of that went away. I mean, it was just gone for many. And, and people started showing up being very vocal about what they thought about the team and the work and the company and, and all of that. And if they didn't get the right answers, that's why we had the great resignation. You know, people were were at least trying to ask the question, and if they didn't get the right answer, they they voted with their feet and went other places. And up my my stand, they're still doing it. They're still looking. They're still they're in they're in different places. They're working. I get that, but they're still looking. They're looking yeah. and they want, they want to participate. They want to create, they want to be respected. They want dignity, right? And income is like number four, not number one, two or three as to why they will stay and why they show up. Right. I agree. And, and I think the, the bar of expectation has been reset and, and people are, and this is where in my thinking, it comes full circle back to the humanistic elements of leadership People are looking for a more a holistic solution on how they're living their life. They realize there's X number of hours in the day they're going to commit to work. And even with the work, that's why you hear so many leaders worried about uh, representing their company as, as socially relevant, socially meaningful. And, and ESG is a bigger thing in big business than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Environmental, social, and governmental, you know, and uh, workers are wanting companies that have a purpose and have a stand for these other things, not just the product they're delivering. And, um, I agree with you. People are continuing to vote that way. They they land a new job. They look around. They heard a great story. 
when they get in and get under the covers and realize the reality of it, then they still say, no, this still isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And so I'm ready to go yet again. Still a lot of job openings out there. Right. That um, go, I can't find anybody to come to work for me. And I'm going, what is your opening? It's like, it's not that the people aren't there. They are. They just don't want your opening. Yeah. Right. So you figure out how to, how to shape it to where you can seduce people into your business. Right. I talked to a recruiter a while back who um, had, had done a very interesting job of remodeling the whole placement game, but he said he had a client company or a prospect come to him and say, they wanted him to fill a certain number of jobs and they said oh but by the way we want everybody in the office and he said that's a non-starter he said i'm not even going to take your assignment he said it it i don't know anybody in my domain that's that's gonna agree to that everybody at a minimum everybody wants a hybrid arrangement yeah I, there is still uh there's a lot that can be done by hanging out with other people like yeah. being in the same room, same proximity. Right. And there is no return from windshield time. Yeah. Right. That windshield yeah. time where you sit there and stare at the, listen to whatever you're going to listen to, whether it's talk radio or, or NPR or your own music or a podcast, right. You're much better off to be at home, not driving, not spinning yeah. the gas, not doing that, not that time. Right. If you're going to listen to a podcast, do it at home where you're sitting there, you know, focusing on what they're saying, not driving and then looking around and, you get to the end, you go, oh, I think I know. You don't know what you did. Yeah. You may, may not remember the podcast at all. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, so, yeah, cool. Our, our time's up here, Ron, for today. But thank you so much for sitting in and sharing that. Tell the folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more. Yeah, you can you can always reach me at uh, MacklinConnection.com. Uh, look us up there, and there's a place you can put your email address in. You can uh, reach out to me, Ron, at MacklinConnection.com. You can also buy uh, my my new book. came out in October. It's called Everyone is Afraid. It's available on Amazon. And um, you can always just uh, find my own podcast, which is the Story in Your Head podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, it's everywhere. So, uh, great, you. great. Well, uh, one last time, Ron, thank you for sitting in. And folks, as always, we'll have those links in the show notes. So feel free to uh, drop down and, and click on any of the links and you'll be able to reach out and get a hold of Ron. I do like to remind folks we have a video version of this show over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, check out the archives, and uh, leave me a comment if you've got an idea or a guest suggestion. Heck, maybe you might want to be a guest. Just let me know that, and would love to hear from you and talk with you. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.